Welcome to the Unpacking It podcast with Bryce Johnson. It's a show that unpacks sports, faith, and life with intriguing guests from the sports and entertainment world. Enjoy inspiring conversations and thought-provoking interviews. You'll hear stories from people that will inspire, challenge, and encourage you. Now, from the Unpacking It studios in Charlotte, North Carolina, uniting sports fans everywhere, here is Bryce Johnson. Welcome to the Unpacking It podcast, where we unpack sports, faith, and life with intriguing guests from the sports and entertainment world. I'm Bryce Johnson. Check out our website, unpackingit.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to our weekday email devotional. We call it Unpack This. You can also find our devotionals in the Bible app. And so you just search Unpack This on the, the Bible app that you most likely have on your phone. Today on the show, we will be joined by Jason Romano. He's the author of the new book, The Uniform of Leadership, Lessons on True Success from My ESPN Life. And so he spent 17 years working at ESPN. What a job that would be. Uh, what, a, what a place that is up there in Bristol, Connecticut. But now Jason is in ministry, and he, he hosts a, a similar show to Unpacking It. It's called the Sports Spectrum Podcast, and he interviews uh, athletes and coaches and people in the sports and media world uh, about sports, faith, and life and, and has his own unique personality and style and approach. But what's cool is years ago, he, he came on unpacking it early on. So we've been doing this since 2012, and he came on within the, the first year or so while he was still at ESPN. And we kept in touch, and then years later, he left ESPN. He joined Sports Spectrum. And, and started the podcast there. But the crazy thing is, I used to work at Sports Spectrum. And so I used to actually host a podcast at Sports Spectrum. It was called Sports Yap. And I spent a year there when Sports Spectrum was actually located in North Carolina. Uh, they, they've been a magazine since the 80s. And they've gone through some changes. And, and Jason has really done a great job uh, with Sports Spectrum uh, in his role as a, a, a host and producer of the podcast. And so, anyway, it's awesome to have him on today. Uh, we'll, we'll mainly focus on his new book, uh, which is which is cool because I love the topic of leadership. I think it's so important for us to consider what makes a great leader, and and I think his approach and and understanding of of what makes a great leader can can really be encouraging and and inspiring to us today. Before we jump in, let me ask you this. Do you need to get your own health insurance? Well, go to healthmarketgenius.com. Know your options. It's healthmarketgenius.com. Support them as they support us. Coming up after the interview, I'll let you know uh, maybe the, the big takeaway for me and something to unpack following the conversation. But right now, we jump in to our conversation with Jason Romano. Intriguing guests and inspiring conversations. This is Unpacking It with Bryce Johnson. And joining us now 
is Jason Romano. He spent 17 years at ESPN as a producer, working on shows like Mike and Mike and Outside the Lines. He is now the host of the Sports Spectrum podcast. He's a speaker and an author. His first book was called Live to Forgive, and he is now releasing a new book called The Uniform of Leadership, Lessons on True Success from My ESPN Life. You can check out jasonromano.com. Jason, it's great to have you back on Unpacking It. How are you? What's up, Bryce? I'm doing great, brother. So good to be back with you. And I always say you were the first person to ever invite me onto a show to talk about ESPN and faith. And that was seven years, eight years ago. So it is great to be back on with you, my friend. Man, well, this yeah, this is the third or fourth time you, you've been on the show. So uh, great to have you back and, and excited to talk about your, your new book. Uh, but before we do that, I, I know you're a, a diehard Cowboys fan. So yeah. hopefully there's a season. So we're, we're just counting on it. We're hopeful. We're excited for the season. What are your expectations for the Cowboys this year? I mean, if I'm being honest, I'm going to talk from the head and the heart. The head always says, uh, we're good enough to go all the way. Uh, but clearly in 25 years, they haven't gone anywhere near all the way. Um, my heart says they definitely have the talent. And I, I say that, you know, I feel like I've said that every year, it feels like. But this year for real, like the skill position on the offensive side of the ball, if healthy, they should be the top team in the NFL, at least from my perspective. Maybe Kansas City, of course, as well. But when you look at every single position, I mean, I think they have the deepest wide receiver core in the league. Yes. Uh, you know, I think uh, when you look at getting C.D. Lamb in the draft, I thought that was a great pick. Uh, and you already got Michael Gallup there, and you already got Amari Cooper. And Dak is really good. I mean, a lot of people have issues with Dak. I don't. I think he's really, really good. And uh, I'm glad that he's at least franchised, so we know he'll be back. And if he signs the big contract, great as well. And Zeke, he's still really good. The offensive line is getting a little older, a little more banged up. So I think they'll have to address that in the next couple of years. But I still think if, if they're healthy, they're really, really good. Uh, and the defense has a lot of great skill position players. They lost a couple of players, too. You can't keep everybody. But I, I like their draft a lot. They, they addressed a ton of areas. I think for the first time in a long time, I can remember Dallas literally addressing need positions, need areas, other than maybe C.D. Lamb when you took the best player available. And uh, I like them. I really do. I, I don't know. Uh, what's going to happen in terms of how the season plays out because it always plays out differently than we think. One of my pet peeves is I'll always talk sports, Bryce, right? And you and I can always chat in August and try to figure out who's going to win and do this. But we just don't know. Like we knew Kansas City was going to be good last year, but I don't think people saw what they were going to do and go all the way and win the Super Bowl yet. We knew they'd be good. But when you look at the NFL as a whole, there's always three or four teams that come out of nowhere and just surprise or a team that had a bad year the year before. I'm kind of hoping Dallas is that team, right? Cause they were eight and eight or nine and seven last year. And then this year, you know, maybe they can win 11, 12 games, win the division and make a run. Um, and it seems like with the Dallas progression and now Jason Garrett's gone, of course, but they were an every other year team for the last seven years. So in 13, they were eight and eight in 14, they won 12 games in the division. In 15, Tony Romo broke his collarbone and they were 3 and 13 and they drafted Zeke. In 16, they went 13 and 3. In 17, I think they were 8 and 8 and missed. In 18, they won the division and went on a crazy run. And then 19, they were 9 and 7 and lost to a very injury riddled Eagles team. 
that just showed so much heart and won the division. So it's like every other year they've won the division. I'm hoping this is the other side of the every other year. <laughs> we'll see. Well, and I'm just fascinated to see what McCarthy can do taking over yeah. and if he's the, I don't know, the missing link or he just gets him over the top. Like, like we've I hope so. I mean, at years. least the pedigree is there, right? And I, and, and I like when you get a new coach who hasn't coached in a couple of years, so he took a year off. Yep. I think that's just there's something about taking a year off, stepping back, and kind of be evaluating and scouting. Whereas if you go from coaching one team to coaching another, there's just not that perspective, I think. And so I do like that he took a year off, and I like that he coached like a dude like Aaron Rodgers for so many years and won for so many of those years. So he's been around talent and knows how to handle sort of the high, high quality superstar type players. And listen, if you play for the Cowboys, like your status is already elevated just because the fan, the fan base for them is, is ridiculous. You either love them or you hate them. So I'm excited. We'll see what happens. It's, it's going to be great. And I think they will be right in the mix. My thought though, because the off season was so weird, I feel like we're just going to see a repeat of the chiefs and the 49ers. I just feel like they're ready Probably. to go, but but, I, but I'm with you. It's always fun to see the surprise teams, and, and the Cowboys could actually absolutely be that team. All right, so another Cowboys question, and, and especially with your, your broadcasting background, Tony Romo, your old, your old quarterback. What, what have you made of his first couple of years as an analyst and, and, and just kind of his rise to the top, and now he's the you know, highest-paid guy and unbelievable contract he signed this 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 offseason as well uh so what do you make of him and, and all that the success he's had already all right two things first of all you're not going to like this but i'm watching you as we record this through zoom and uh, i can see you and you look a lot like romo have you been told that before <laughs> no, tell me no. you've been told that no i'll take you it. look like him i'm watching you and i see tony romo because i see the headphone and the mic and you have a very similar complexion in your face and i'm like i'm talking to tony romo here that's funny obviously I'm not talking to Tony Romo, but I love Romo, Bryce. I mean, I think he is, he, he shocked me in how good he was that first year. I think he shocked everybody. Um, I knew he'd do well uh, because I always thought he was an interesting interview. With Romo, you weren't quite sure because you didn't see him do a lot, but they threw him right on the number one team. They didn't even give him a shot. Like That's crazy. I heard Troy Aikman talk about this on another show. When he got his first job, he was thrown in as sort of the second guy on the third team at Fox with Chris Collinsworth. Yep. And then they got quickly promoted to the first team within a year or two. It was after Madden and Summerall, I think, retired. Through that, Troy was able to learn. Now, I did recognize it. I thought Troy would be a really good analyst, too. And I think he is great. But Romo is is like a 12-year-old kid in a candy store with a microphone and a headset. And he's like, look, I get to get this piece of candy now. Oh, my gosh, they have baseball cards here. Look, they have the newest <laughs> Sports Illustrated. Like, he's just excited about everything that he sees. And that transfers over. But not only is the excitement there, but the knowledge is there. The dude knows what he's talking about. And he's predicting plays before they happen. But he's, he's making it fun and engaging. But if you're a football junkie, you also appreciate that this dude sees things and knows things that the average person doesn't know and see. And you could be like my wife or some other people who love football, but they don't know the intricacies of it, but they enjoy listening to him call games. And for my wife, she's a Titans fan. So she got to hear Tony Romo call two wins last year when they beat the Patriots and the Ravens. So she was loving it. But I think Romo is fantastic. I love that he's doing as well as he's doing as a broadcaster. I really do. I love listening to him. Well, and the crazy thing is, I mean, he could be this guy, the number one guy for the next 20 years, which is, yeah. which I is mean, he's, wild. I think he just turned 40 years old. So he's still At super least. young. Yeah. And if he wants to do this till he's 70, 
he could. So 30 years, we could have 30 years of Tony Romo doing football games. I, I don't know if he'll do that that long, but if he wants to, man, it's set up for him. I mean, I think they just paid him an insane amount of money too. Um, more than I think he ever made as an NFL player yeah. per year, CBS did. And, uh, you know, they feel like he's worth it. I think he's as good as there is out there. Tony Romo should get as much money as he can get, but I'm still shocked when a broadcaster makes close to 15 to 20 million a year to do in essence, eight games and, and three or four playoff games (laughs) money. If you can get it, Bryce, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. All right. One other uh, ESP or broadcasting. And and this one's more of an ESPN question. Uh, You were a part of the Mike and Mike show uh, years ago and Mike and Mike broke up. Then uh, Golick stuck around, but now Golick's gone as well. So that was big news recently. What, what do you make of that? And just the, the idea that, that Mike Golick senior won't be a part of the lineup uh, anymore. He, he'd been there 20 plus years. Yeah. I mean, he, I was sad to see that obviously. Um, and especially knowing that he wanted to continue from what I read and that ESPN just rate and radio just wanted to move on. Uh, that kind of bummed me out and I get it. Everybody sort of pivots in their business and maybe try something new and something different, but I still think Golick is throwing his fastball pretty well. And uh, he's a guy that I think still is, has huge value. He's still under contract. So he's going to be at ESPN. Uh, doing uh, television, I believe, doing some college football. But there's nothing like Golick on the radio. I was privileged for two years to work with him, my first year at ESPN and my last year. And uh, I wrote this when I posted on Instagram about him leaving. I said, you know, I was a scared kid walking in at 26 years old my first day at ESPN. And by day three, I was assigned to Mike and Mike. And Golick just put me at ease right away. And uh, that was huge for me just to kind of know, hey, this is a famous football dude who's doing a radio show. And he's just treating me like I'm, you know, part of the team. Fast forward to the year that I left and I was going through so much struggling uh, with that tension of leaving my dream job to go to another dream job, follow God's call on my life. And, you know, Greeny and Golick both really were amazing to work with that last year. I tell people my last year at ESPN was without a doubt my favorite year at ESPN because I had so much fun working on Mike and Mike. And being on a show that was heard and seen by so many people Mm. and then getting that opportunity to do that was fantastic. But then leaving, knowing that God was saying, it's time to pivot, it's time to go, it's time to do something else. And Golik was really supportive in that. And even if you watch my last day at ESPN, which I just posted on YouTube, you know, when I left, um, Golik didn't have to do this. Uh, but he was like, it takes a lot for a dude to stand up and, and and say, hey, my faith's the most important thing in my life and I want to pursue and follow that. So he was always supportive of me, always uh, friendly with me. I, I have nothing bad to say about the guy. And, uh, you know, he's in the he's in the without a doubt Mount Rushmore of ESPN radio personalities. And he's a Hall of Famer. He already has that Hall of Fame moniker. And uh, he's one of the goats. He really is. He's just amazing. Absolutely. Uh, they they were so steady for so long with Mike and Mike, and uh, it's just crazy to think that there will be a new morning show coming uh, coming up in August. So, uh, yeah, yeah, fascinating to, to think about. All right, so we mentioned your, your time at ESPN, and it's 17 years, and it's led to a new book all about your, your lessons learned there in, in regards to, to leadership and success. And so, I want to start, though, with the title of the book, because you wrote a little bit about it, but, but I love the, the, the thought process and, and the actual process that goes into coming up with a title for a, a book. And so you landed on the uniform of leadership. Why? 
Okay, that's a great question because when I was putting together the idea to write this book and I collaborate with my co-author, Steve Copeland, who you know, oh, yeah. and Steve is actually a part of, has been a part of Sports Spectrum and some other things with the places that both you and I have interacted in. And Steve's great. He helped me write my first book, Live to Forgive. And we put together this idea for the second book, which I didn't even know if I wanted to write a second book. But the most common question I get anywhere I go is, what was it like to work at ESPN? Tell me some stories about ESPN. So I thought, well, let's write a book because I got a ton of stories and let's put those stories in a book. So initially when we wrote the book, the manuscript for it, Steve and I put the title down as Bloom Where You're Planted. Tales from the ESPN Car Wash was the subtitle. And that was our pitch to the, to the publishers to see if anybody would be interested in the book. The Uniform of Leadership title did not come until after we signed our agreement with Kriegel Publishing, and they're out of Grand Rapids, Michigan, and they saw Bloom and they saw Tales from the ESPN Car Wash, and they thought that was nice and that was good, but they went through the original first draft of the manuscript and came back and said, we actually like this title, The Uniform of Leadership. What do you think? And so it was from them. Uh, and that's, you know, there's there's a humility aspect in that too, because you spend three, four months putting together a manuscript, putting together a book proposal, and you're sold on what you think it's going to be. And then the publisher comes back and has a vision maybe a little bit different. And I initially, I'm like, the uniform of leadership sounds so cheesy. No, I don't want to do that. But then I went back to Steve and we laid out what the uniform of leadership was Hmm. and why this could be more of a movement and not just a title for a book. Hmm. And once we did that, we rewrote about 70% of the manuscript around the title of the uniform of leadership, but really the movement, what is the uniform of leadership? And so what it is, is it's this metaphor of us waking up every day, putting on a uniform, right? What uniform are we wearing? What uniform are we putting on? Most sports uniforms, as you have behind you, as I'm looking at, you have a team name on the front and a name on the back of the jersey and a number as well. When we wake up every day, we have to make a choice. Are we playing for the name on the front of the jersey or are we playing for the name on the back? When we thought that through and I told Steve, I said, I think this is like where the uniform of leadership is going to go. We immediately gravitated toward Jesus. Hmm. And in Matthew 28, Matthew 20, 28, Jesus talks about what it means to be a great leader. He doesn't even use the word leader in it, but he says, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so we look at Jesus as the greatest leader of all time, maybe the greatest human, probably he is the greatest human of all time that walked this earth as God in human form. And easily, if he just said, hey, he did say, follow me. But if he just said, if he just said, serve me, I'm the son of God, nobody would have said anything if they believed in who he was. They would have followed him and they would have said, yeah, we'll serve you, of course. But he didn't do that. He came and he lived a life as a great leader who was also a servant. He came to serve, not to be served. And I said, that's what the uniform of leadership is. It's wearing your uniform as serving God first, your team or others second, and then yourself third. So you're not neglecting yourself. You're just making sure yourself is in the proper order. Mm. And if we wake up each day and we're looking to serve ourselves first, which many of us do because we're selfish by nature, we're wearing our uniform backwards. And so that's where the idea of the uniform of leadership came. It's what the proper order of wearing that uniform, in my opinion, that leads to true success in wearing that uniform properly. Are you wearing it? Are you living your life serving others first, serving God 
others and then yourself, or are you wearing it to serve yourself? Now we've seen it, Bryce, in sports where many people are out there wearing their uniform backwards, not necessarily literally, but in a sort of metaphorical way, guys who are playing for themselves and averaging 30 a game in the NBA, but they have no interest in making their teammates better. They have no interest in winning championships. They just want to uh, pile the stats and, and, you know, see their name, get all the glory. The greatest leaders we've seen them all in sports are the ones that make others a priority that are serving others that make it about the team that celebrate what the team's about. And then when you celebrate the team first, man, that elevates yourself as well. Mm. And so that's really what the idea of the uniform of leadership is in the title. I, I love it. And there's a double meaning to the word uniform as well. Can, can you explain that to our, our listeners? It does have a double meaning. So there's the uniform of leadership that you put on every day, right, Bryce? But then it's the idea of uniformity, of, of being consistent, of being the same person, of living this life out every single day in the same way. And that's important, too, in terms of the, what the, the word uniform is. So it does have a double meaning. And I think, um, you know, when you look at your life every day, a lot of us don't look at ourselves as leaders in whatever sphere of influence we have, right? You and I might be working from home and with a small team or with just ourselves a lot, which is what I do. Uh, There's no producers that are working on my show. It's just me. Uh, It's easy to get caught up in just me. Hmm. Uh, But me being consistent every day and wearing that uniform properly to say, hey, am I looking out for the best interests of others before myself in everything that I do? And specifically looking out for my relationship with God. And uh, yeah, I love the double meaning though. I thought you, I'm glad you got a kick out of that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a, I'm a words guy. So, so love that. And, and then when not only the, the process of putting together the, the title, of course, the whole process of putting together the book is a long yeah. journey, you know, just the, it's hard. the, the moment yeah. you sit down to type that first letter, uh, maybe it's just the title, but uh, you, you put that down in the first title that you had, but, but as far as you going through that process, how did you grow? What did you learn just about yourself as you are tackling this subject and, and put, you know, reminiscing about your time at ESPN? What, what was that, that experience like for you to go through that? It was good because I always had uh, certain stories that I would go to when people would ask me about my time at ESPN. And so, uh, you know, Tony Dungy and the day I spent with him is in the book. And that's been a consistent story that I've shared publicly um, even to, to some places, my day with Drew Brees and spending the day with him, I've shared, and that's in the book as well. But I never looked at it from those stories in the perspective of sharing it as leadership lessons. Mm. And so as Steve and I were putting together the book, and he's like, which stories do you want to put in there? And I laid out maybe 10 different stories of different people. And he's like, all right, what's the lesson here? And that was hard, like trying to figure out the the, the lesson of what I learned and where that would fit in the scope of the uniform of leadership. Uh, what was that like? And so, you know, telling the story out loud, I think to Steve, as we were kind of talking it out, helped me formulate that, oh, there's a great leadership lesson from Tony Dungy to be present and to bloom where you're planted. There's a great leadership lesson from Drew Brees to be excellent at what you do, because Colossians 3 tells us to be excellent in all that we do for God and work for God and not for man. And I'm, as I'm putting it together, I'm like, I see it now. But when you're walking through it, or even when you're just telling the story of the day you spent with them, you're not reflecting and going deeper into the, the, the even, I guess, the layers that God was maybe uh, using those days for that you didn't see until five to 10 to 15 years later. Mm. Um, so I learned a lot about moments, I think, and the experiences that we have 
and the and the deeper levels that some of these experiences can have on us without us even realizing it. Mm-hmm. You know, even some of the interviews that I do with my show, I'm sure you're the same way. It's one thing to just talk to a person and interview them. But when you go back and listen or you reflect on the conversation or even the relationship building that takes place when you interview somebody and you're like, oh, my gosh, there's like three or four layers that took place in that time when we just talked for 20 minutes. And so for me, I saw these layers really laid out as I looked back, especially with the celebrities and the athletes. Now, I will tell you, the whole book was not intended to feature people who were not celebrities. It was always intended to just be the famous people that I spent time with. But as Steve and I were putting together the book, I started laying out four or five different experiences of people that were not famous, that you wouldn't know, that weren't even on TV. You know, Tammy, who works in the cafeteria as the cashier, was one of the best leaders I ever worked with at ESPN. And so Steve and I are talking about Tammy and he's like, you mean you realize people are going to relate more to Tammy when they read your book than they are to Drew Brees Mm -hmm. or Tony Dungy. And I said, yes, they absolutely are, because not every, none, none of us are those guys, but a lot of us have Tammies in our life or are that Tammy. And so we wanted to try and make it as human as possible, too, and find some of the unsung heroes, the behind-the-scenes people, and highlight them as well. And I think we've done a pretty good job on mixing the sort of celebrities that you would know and the athletes with the sort of everyday person who, right where they need to be, God has placed them in a unique place to influence and be a leader. That's awesome, and and I think, uh, yeah, that approach to identifying, hey, we can all be a leader and have opportunities to to implement leadership day to day is key, and we don't have to to be a, a superstar. So I, I like that that messaging behind it because I, I think so often we think, oh, leadership books or are for the CEO of a company or a coach of a, a team, but we all, I mean, starting with our family. We, we need leadership qualities, and, and, and a lot of these principles that you talk about in the book translate to that. And, and one of the things I want to mention, you, you didn't use his name uh, when you listed off a couple guys, but when Pete Carroll visited ESPN, and you talked about how leaders handle plans changing, and you noticed yes. that, that Pete did a good job of that. And this is something that I struggle with because I – when something's planned and then it goes awry, I get frustrated and I'm, I'm, I don't necessarily roll with the punches as well as I should. So, I, yeah. I, so, so anyway, so I need to be encouraged by what you learned from, from Pete Carroll. So, so can you share that with our, our listeners today? Yeah. I, again, this is going through that story and saying, Hey, I spent the day with Pete Carroll and this is what happened. And Steve and I are talking about it. And I say to him, you know what Pete did? He, he didn't freak out and panic when his day went, you know, kind of sideways. And what happened was it was uh, just about 10 years ago, as we record this, Bryce, in July of 2010, Pete had just taken the job with the Seahawks and he had left USC. And in between that time, he had written a book and he brought, you know, three or four people with him and came across to the East Coast to help promote the book. It was in the off season. It was before training camp started. So he had time and uh, he brought three or four people and came and did the ESPN car wash. And so he comes to ESPN and it happened to be within the first interview that he was appearing on Mike and Mike actually, and Uh, and my job at the time, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, what was your role at the time? Yeah. I was going to explain it. My job is I was a talent producer. So I was booking guests at ESPN and my job that day was to secure Pete Carroll, bring him to ESPN, put together the shows that he was going to be on and then 
escort him around from show to show to make sure he got there on time. So I get him to ESPN early in the morning, you know, West Coast guy, and he gets there at 8 a.m. So it's like 5 a.m. Seattle time. So he's tired. And um, he does Mike and Mike at like 8.30. And Mike and Mike's the very first show. Most of these people that would come through would do Mike and Mike first just because it was a morning show. So he goes on Mike and Mike, he has this great interview. And in the middle of the interview, I'm standing in the back area by the producers. And one of the producers, Liam, looks at me and he just points to his screen. And I look at the screen and it says on the EMPS Sports Center Newswire, I'll never forget it. It says George Steinbrenner has died. And I thought, well, first initial reaction was that's sad, obviously. You know, anytime an icon passes away. But I also know what that means for ESPN. When breaking news happens with regards to very big names or big franchises, or in this case, both, they basically, and it's the middle of July, there's no sports going on, right? Nothing other than baseball. They stop everything and they go full on covering the story. With George Steinbrenner passing, I knew that I had Pete Carroll here and nobody wanted to talk to Pete Carroll after that. They wanted to talk to people about George Steinbrenner. Oh. And so what I did was after, after he did Mike and Mike, I gra- gathered his people and I said, Pete, I just want to you know, know that George Steinbrenner passed away. He's like, oh, that sucks. I'm so sorry to hear that. And I said, yeah, I said, um, I just got to give you guys a heads up. I don't know if this is going to take place or not, but I think because of this, there's going to be a lot of shows that normally would have said yes to have you on today that are now going to pivot and do a lot of their content and their shows on George Steinbrenner's death. And I was right. That's exactly what happened. So I started getting calls. Hey, first take called. Sorry, Pete can't do the show. We have to talk about George Steinbrenner sports center calls. Hey, sorry. I know you have Pete Carroll, but we're going to have to cancel today because we're doing sport. you know, we're doing George Steinbrenner. And I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, I'm freaking out here because this guy came all the way to ESPN and I wanted to make it worth his while two interview cancellations in and Pete still was able to do college football live. He was able to do NFL live. So it was still worth his time to come. He looks at me and he goes, Jason, relax. It's okay. I know your job is important to you, but I'm fine. If we do no more interviews today, it was worth it. I'm good. Hmm. Don't sweat it. You can't, you can't predict breaking news. You can't predict somebody dying like that. It's okay. Just do the best you can and we'll be fine. And that put me at ease right away, Bryce. And I'll tell you the story, the lesson I learned from that, that I put in the book is that Pete Carroll, instead of being a thermometer, was a thermostat. And so the thermostat controls the temperature in the room. The thermometer takes the temperature in the room. And Pete didn't take the temperature. He set the temperature. Hmm. He could have blown up, right? He could be like, listen, I came all the way from Seattle, from Los Angeles, and I'm here to promote my book. And this is what, how I get treated. Screw you guys. I'm out of here. He could have done that. Mm-hmm. And I probably wouldn't have thought any less of him, but he didn't. He took the humil- humility route. He was humble. He was kind. He was compassionate. He had empathy for what I was going through. Perfect example of what it means to set and be a thermostat in tough situations. Mm. For me, I'm usually the thermostat that I am is I'm freaking out and that gets really hot yeah. <laughs> and I'm not setting a good thermostat. But Pete said it right away. He had us all calm. He had us all controlled. And it was awesome. And honestly, I didn't recognize that leadership trait until a year ago. Wow. And that was 10 years ago, that story that I've told to a lot of people. But it was incredible. And I, I, I learned in my life, same with you, right? Like we both freak out or don't like it when things don't go the way we want it to go, especially in this business with interviews that we booked or can't oh, yeah. get cancellations or whatever. 
but we also have a choice to make every day. How are we going to wear our uniform? Mm. What's the, what's the thermostat going to look like in our life when we, and we, as dads, as husbands, we can react very poorly and that thermostat can go off, you know, into a really bad place. Uh, And I've learned even in the past year in in terms of this book that I can be just like Pete Carroll everywhere I go. Mm. You know, I could freak out and panic and, you know, start yelling and screaming and the thermostat has turned up to a hundred or I can be calm and collective and peaceful and caring and empathetic and control that thermostat everywhere I go. Love the story. Love the principle. And and not surprising because when you see him on the sidelines, he he seems pretty calm for the most part and tons of energy, of course. Uh, Right. But there's a controlling of that energy, right? It doesn't get out of, you don't ever see him berating people. Uh, You don't ever see him kind of calling out people in his interviews. Like when they lost to the Patriots, terrible, you know, mistake, not running the ball with Marshawn Lynch. He admitted that, but he was calm and he was like, yeah, that's on me. I made the mistake here. He controlled, you can see it even there, how he was a thermostat and not a thermometer. Right. And uh, that's refreshing to know that what I saw 10 years ago, at least from the outside looking in, has continued throughout his career. I love it. I love it. So the book is called The Uniform of Leadership, Lessons on True Success from My ESPN Life. Uh, he's Jason Romano. And I, I want to talk about the, the word success as, as a part of the, this conversation. And yeah. there you were at the, you know, the, the, the hub of the sports world. And sports are all about success. We love winners. We love champions and it's all about that but at the same time i can imagine all the egos in that building too they all want to be the top anchor the top radio host the the top analyst all that kind of thing so there's a a drive for success there as well and so what did you learn about this pursuit of success and now today as you reflect on that and 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 how you've matured in your faith what do you consider success and, and how has your yeah, and just perspective on it changed over the years. Well, certainly success um, for me early on was just like what the world would deem as success right now. Accomplishment, achievement, what you were able to do, you know? Oh, you're a success, Jason, because you worked 17 years at ESPN. And I can see why they would say that. And I understand that. You know, I have an Emmy Award sitting on my mantle downstairs that I did nothing to earn, but I have it. (laughs) And so people deem you success because you're an Emmy Award winner, right? And so I get what that success means. And listen, we're in a culture in sports, Bryce, where we watch people every day and we deem them successful or not based upon their accomplishment. I mean, in sports, you're rewarded not because of anything that, uh, you know, you might be the nicest person in the world. You're not going to get a big contract for being nice, right? You're going to get a big contract because you're Patrick Mahomes and you just won a Super Bowl and an MVP and threw for 5,000 yards and you're young and you have the stardom ahead of you. You're rewarded for what you've done, your accomplishment. To me, though, that's the reason why we put lessons on true success on the cover of the book, because true success to me has nothing to do with accomplishment or earning or achievement or climbing the corporate ladder. And listen, I did that for many years at ESPN. I tried to climb to the next phase and, and, you know, become a producer and then move up that corporate ladder. And, you know, I lost my whole identity in doing that. Uh, I made ESPN my God in doing that. You know, my faith had taken a, a back seat for sure. And I realized true success is literally has nothing to do with achievement. It's all about 
what have you done to impact others? What have you done to help others? To me, that's my definition of success now. And, you know, I struggle with that still because we're selfish by nature. We're born with this selfish gene inside of us. It's called sin that we all have. And so for John in chapter three, verse 30, it's actually John the Baptist saying about Jesus, he must increase, we must decrease. That's the tension and the struggle that every follower of Christ has, in my opinion. But the true success in our lives is when we take ourselves out of the equation and we focus on others. We focus on God, but we focus on what can we do to serve and help others. Mm. And if I go about achieving all that you could achieve in life, same with you, right, Bryce? And we, we win whatever the equivalent of what we could win is, right? We win 30 Emmys and we make millions of dollars and we have large houses and cars that are, you know, Mercedes and all these other, you know, extravagant. And, and then we walk away and we made no impact on anybody's life. We feel empty inside and feel like this was all worth, like, it's not success. Mm. You feel, I mean, how many athletes have you talked to who have told you, yeah, I had all of this money and all of this achievement and I felt empty. Mm. So how can the definition of success in people's eyes say that you're successful, but you feel empty. Like how, then that clearly isn't success. Mm -hmm. It's, it's worldly success. It's a, it's a, it's something that's not right. It's not true. Mm -hmm. True success is your relationship with Jesus. Then coming out of that in how you impact others. Cause at the end of the day, or at the end of our lifetime, and I read about this, the, the success rate for death is a hundred percent. I don't know if you heard this, the, the truth behind that. <laughs> And so that's going to happen for all of us. And we're all going to have to face our maker someday. And if all we can tell our maker and standing before Christ is look at what I did, we got a lot of issues. It's, I want myself to be able to say to Jesus, Jason Romano came to serve and not be served much like Jesus did. I have no idea if I will achieve that hundred um, percent, but that's kind of my goal right now. And if that's my goal, I feel like that takes myself out of the equation and allows for real success to happen. And, um, so yeah, it's a long winded answer. I apologize, but no, it's great. that word success has so much, such a deeper meaning for me now than it ever did. I, I love it. And, and I'm, I'm right there with you and, and I'm not saying this to take away from that, but when, when I listened to my grandpa's funeral and he, he wrote something and, and read it out or we read it out at his funeral, he yeah. said, life is about significance, not success. And that stuck with me. That was probably 2007 or eight, and and I always think back to that. Am I doing something of significance or success? And and success meaning everything else. So what you're saying, as far as true success, that would fall under significance. But using those two words, like I said earlier, I'm a words guy. So, uh, man, so good flowing through that that lens. So uh, love love what you said, and and it's just so encouraging. And and one other kind of thing to pull out from the book uh, that I appreciate. It says, there is no such thing as a selfish leader because selfish people aren't truly leaders, even if they're in a leadership position. How yeah. good is that? So I, I, <laughs> I love that, and, and that, that speaks to that as well. And, yeah. and I guess let, true. Let's, um, let's wrap up, and, and you can either comment on that or let's maybe, you, you've mentioned this a little bit, just about the, the qualities of Jesus as a leader a couple more that that really resonate with you that as we're talking about leadership and we're looking to him as the ultimate example of a leader because he said, you know, follow me. So he's a leader to follow. 
um, what what are the things that that we can just be an encouragement to to people listening today as a as a takeaway? Well, you catch me at the perfect time because I'm putting together a sermon to share at my oh. church in about a week and a half on Jesus's qualities as a leader, and it's sort of connected and it is connected to the Uniform of Leadership book being released. But I'm I'm putting together the three P's, so you'll like this as a words guy. So Jesus was patient. Jesus was present and Jesus was purposeful as a leader. And I think the great leaders are those three things. Now, Jesus was a lot of other things too, but for, you know, the purpose of the sermon that I'm working on and this, you know, interview, Jesus was patient, right? I mean, you see him in the crowds everywhere he went. It never says he ran. It says he walked. Mm. You never see him in a hurry. Mm. He was patient. He was right there waiting. He was actively patient, which I actually talk about in my book about active patience versus passive patience. He wasn't just sitting waiting. He was constantly looking, seeking, going on the mission that he was on, but he was always patient with people. The second was present. I mean, you won't get a more present person than Jesus with the people that he was around, people that others didn't want to associate with. Jesus was right there with a woman who just wanted to grab his garment and was healed. And he stopped And he took a second and talked to that woman and said, your faith has made you well, you are healed. Like just being present in the moment, which we miss as human beings right now in the life that we live in the microwavable, instantaneous, I need to get a reaction, the notification world on our phones. We miss being present. We're we're constantly thinking about the future and what's next and where we're going that we forget about the journey. We forget that there's a place that we're walking right now that we need to be present with. And that goes back to blooming where you're planted, right? And so Jesus was present and then he was purposeful. I mean, the purpose for all of us as followers of Christ is to love God and love our neighbors. And that's what Jesus said are the the two most important commandments. And you talk about purposeful. I mean, that was Jesus's whole life was, was purposeful. And for us, we, we as leaders need to understand that there is a bigger purpose in the midst of what we're trying to do. And so as leaders, I think even just with my, my daughter, and I think about the leader that I have to be to her as her dad, um, being patient, being present, which is a big one, being purposeful in her life is key. You know? And so I want her to see there's a purpose behind what I'm doing here. There's a purpose behind what I'm saying to you here. There's a purpose behind everything that you're doing. You don't even see it yet, but trust me, there's a purpose here. And I think that is the the essence of who Jesus was as a leader is being patient, present, and purposeful. Love it. The three Ps. Let, let's end it right there and, and appreciate uh, you writing this book and sharing your stories from your time at, at ESPN. And, and we've loved having you on over the years and when you were there at ESPN sharing some of those stories with us as well. Uh, but but encourage everyone to check out the book, The Uniform of Leadership, Lessons on True Success from My ESPN Life. It's already getting tons of pre-orders up there, number one on Amazon. And so, uh, man, congrats. Keep up the great work. People can check out jasonromano.com. You can follow him on Twitter. Very active on social media, Jason Romano. And then also, he's the host of the Sports Spectrum podcast, interviewing incredible athletes, coaches, people in the ministry world and beyond. Um, and so uh, the sports world and beyond as well. And so I uh, encourage you to check out the Sports Spectrum podcast. And 
He's got an incredible guest coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I know him well, so uh, so check that out. I, I was able that to would join. be Bryce Johnson for everybody. He doesn't want to say it, but I will. That's uh, correct. Uh, so he's well, he's got better better guests than me, but but I'll, I'll be I'll be on with him. Uh, so so in, definitely uh, look for that and keep an eye out for that as well. This Thanks, was fun, buddy. man. Fun to fun to have you here on on video, and we recorded. Uh, the podcast that, that I did with you and then you with me. So a, a fun day uh, here with Jason on Unpacking It and uh, greatly appreciate you uh, joining us. Thanks, buddy. This is a pleasure. It's always great to be back on with you. So like I said before, when we started, it's an honor to come back. You were one of the first people to ever even ask me to do any kind of an interview and uh, I've been on a couple times and your show is great. Appreciate your love for the Lord and uh, the opportunity to come and share a little bit about the book. So thanks so much, buddy. Absolutely. The Uniform of Leadership, Lessons on True Success from My ESPN Life. He's Jason Romano with us on Unpacking It. Intriguing guests and inspiring conversations. This is Unpacking It with Bryce Johnson. And we're back in studio. What an awesome conversation with Jason and so many cool takeaways from uh, his book and the stories of some of these these athletes and coaches that went through ESPN. And, and so you'll definitely have to check out the book. But the, the one aspect that I want to unpack right now is this whole idea of putting on the uniform of leadership and how that that line of putting the uniform on backward which basically means that someone is playing for themselves or living for themselves and and I just think that's a great image because you know you leave the locker room and and how goofy is it to to walk out with your jersey on backward like it's absurd and and so for a a player to spend his whole career so focused on himself where at the end of it, yeah, maybe he's got great stats, but he never won and never made players better, wasn't a good teammate. It's like, yeah, that guy, eh, he's just not that great. Like, he's not a legend. He's not memorable. He's not really respected. And, and I think that, that you know, parallels so well to, to, to the life that we live and what choice we're going to make when we step out of our home each day or even within our home, when we walk, you know, step out of bed, I guess. Are we going to put on the uniform of leadership and and be a servant leader where we serve others? We love others. We love God. We love people. And we have that mentality and, and looking to Jesus as the example where he washed the feet of his disciples. Like we have to let that set in, like what that looks like. Could you imagine just washing someone else's feet? I've washed my, my wife but I, and I guess my daughter. But but other than that, I'm not sure that I have, and so there are other ways to serve. But I'm just saying that that illustration or that image that Jesus, you know, explains and, and uses as the example is is really powerful. And and so for us, are we putting on our, our jersey the right way, the jersey of uh, or the uniform of, of leadership? And and so uh, I think that's that's incredible, and and I think it's it's easy to live for ourselves. It's easy because I remember in college trying to justify living for myself because no, I wasn't really responsible to anyone, maybe my roommate, just to let him know when I was coming back. But you're on your own. 
And I just remember being really selfish then and, and, and being okay with that. And in some ways, yeah, it's the season of life, and okay, that's fine. But there were probably missed opportunities for me to really serve others and, and to have more of that mentality to be like Jesus in putting others ahead of myself. And, and, and it continues to be that daily choice, that daily surrender, the, the dying to ourself, our, our selfish desires, our selfish ways. But to think back on you know a, a player or an athlete who plays for himself, it, it, man, I don't want to be that way in life. I don't want to live just for myself, where at the end of my life, that's all I have to, to, to show for, you know, to, to show the Lord or to show anybody else, hey, oh yeah, here, it's all about me. Bryce just lived for himself. Yikes. I don't want that to be the, the narrative. So I, I hope that that's challenging to us and, and the idea of being a leader too, where we make others better and, and we put the, the, the team ahead of ourselves. And it's so true because when a player puts the team first, you end up succeeding as, a, as an individual as well. Like you, you, as the team rises, so do you. Because the great teams end up having great players. And those players, we remember them as being better than probably what they actually were because they were on a Super Bowl team, a championship team. We remember Robert Ory because he was a winner. I mean, he was pretty good. He was a good player. He hit clutch shots. But he's, he's so memorable because he was, a, he was on great teams. He was on great teams. So do we want to live a great life where the team is first, our family's first, others are first, and, and, and then maybe we experience some, some other success along the way, uh, but it, that's not what it's all about. And, and like I shared, it's about significance. Are we going to live a significant life? Or, or are we chasing success, worldly success, worldly pursuits, selfish desires, living for ourselves, or do we want to live a life of significance where we love God, love people, serve others, put them ahead of ourselves, and put on the uniform of leadership on the right way? Put it, put it on right. We don't want to, we don't want to uh, run out of the locker room with our, our jersey on backwards. So appreciate Jason Romano. Appreciate his book. And, and again, you can check out jasonromano.com. Well, thanks so much for listening to the Unpacking It podcast today. I'm Bryce Johnson. I'm a sports fan who follows Jesus. I believe in the good news that he died on the cross for my sin. He was resurrected, and through faith, I have been saved by his grace. I hope that is true for you as well, and I hope you'll join me as we live life as sports fans who follow Jesus together. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you next time right here on the Unpacking It podcast. For more information about the show, our events, and other resources, visit unpackingit.com. That's U-N-P-A-C-K-I-N-I-T.com. We hope you are encouraged, inspired, and challenged by what you heard today. To support our show and Unpacking It Ministries with a financial gift, visit unpackingit.com slash donate. We look forward to unpacking sports, faith, and life with you again next week. 